welcome everybody to episode five of the Cefalo Show. Today, we're starting with a sponsor message. Uh, one of our own company, uh, Cefalo.com. So we just launched something cool called Cefalo Premium, uh, where we're giving you better rates um, and better service uh, if you are willing to spend a little bit more. So you can go to Cefalo.com, scroll down to the website, and there's a new section there where you can click on it. It's in the Swedish type only, and then you can sign up and we will contact you uh, with all the goodness of Cefalo Premium. Yes, very good. All right, uh, then we like I like to introduce you to my co-host today, which is Ludwig Oberg for the second time with us. Ludwig. Hey guys, how are you doing? Well, actually, technically the third time, uh, the first like time that. he was a guest. <laughs> Um, and of course, a, a, a kudo shout out to uh, Matt Bonerk on the technicals. Hi, Matt. Hi. How are you Keeping, guys? All good. Keeping everything smooth today. Good. Yes. <laughs> Alrighty. And then, of course, I want to remind everybody of the social media. We are on uh, Twitter at Cefalo AB. Cefalo AB for non-Swedes, Cefalo YouTube, uh, facebook.com slash Cefalo, and on any podcast uh, device that you're listening to as the Cefalo Show. All right. And then we go to the next section, which is our guest, Tabitha Cooper. Yes, Tabitha is the advisor at Innerbridge and Target eight. Hey, Taps. And <laughs> the crowd roars. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. For, hey, yeah, I, was, I guess I hadn't read the entire slide yet, but you have a long history in banking and neo-banking payments and everything. Uh, of course, we'll talk a little bit more about that, a little bit more, hopefully a lot more about that later on. Uh, but let's start with the beginning because before the show even started, we got like these questions coming in um, on uh, on our uh, question uh, private. Uh, what is it? How you would call it? The the comment section of the different social media, and there were a couple of questions from Klaas Osterman, um, and he asked this in Swedish, which we will tr have translated by Ludwig because he's native Swedish. Ludwig, take it away. Yeah. What is Klaas asking? Yeah, so um, Klaas is asking about uh, Bitcoin happening, and uh, which is happening soon. Uh, probably within the next day, he says. And actually, it's probably within the next two to three hours, as it looks right now. And he uh, wants us to explain a bit about what that means and uh, if we agree with this kind of timeline. Uh, yeah. Okay. And there was another question from him? Yeah. So he's asking basically what we think that will uh, affect, how it will affect the market price and also okay. the supply of Bitcoin. Uh, and especially now that 85% of all uh, Bitcoins have been created. And if this halvening is already priced in or what will happen, basically. Okay, and there was not something else? or Yeah, and then Bitmains. Yeah, um, he's basically asking, like, what will happen with the Bitmains operations? Will it be a lot more expensive, for example? All right. Well, let's start with the beginning. We talked about the halving a couple of times. So maybe uh, we can, can we pull up the screen of the, the halving website? There's this cool website. What is it? Uh, what is the URL of this, uh, Ludwig? You know, probably. Yeah, it's the, uh, the halvening.com. Okay, it, we'll put it in the show notes. And, and what, what are we looking at here? <laughs> it's it, basically it seems like a, a big counter countdown. <laughs> I, I just see astronauts and a big rocket going to the moon. <laughs> 
quite playful. Um, so, okay, yes. Yeah, so for the people who don't know, um, this is quite a big uh, day for, for Bitcoin because once every four years, roughly, uh, the amount of new Bitcoins giving out is halved. So right now, about 12 and a half new Bitcoins are given out roughly every 10 minutes, and that will have to 6.25 new Bitcoins. Uh, and that's what basically makes it a limited supply because we'll keep having until we reach the complete 21 million Bitcoins. You say they're given out, but I guess that means they're sold, right? They're mined. So you're basically putting in processing power and therefore electricity and as a reward for doing that work and also confirming Bitcoin transactions, you get paid some new Bitcoins as well as some transaction fees. Right. So the halvening is more Bitcoins being added to the to the soup. It, it's it's like somebody's going to buy them. Someone's going to buy them. Not necessarily. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It's it's basically. I'm here for the silly questions. Yeah, <laughs> it's like inflation. It's it's the inflation rate of Bitcoin. So that's slowing up until, down basically. Yeah. So up until now, every block mined would generate twelve point five newly minted Bitcoins, and then with this happening, which is going to happen within two hours, which could happen during the show. Oh, it's a bit. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> there's even happening parties. Like there's virtual reality parties where people join to witness this. I think Ludwig, you are like the 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 one who has seen all the happenings up until now. If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, this is the most exciting happening party, of course. <laughs> all right, class. <laughs> thanks for that comment. <laughs> but the, it's going to six point twenty five Bitcoin uh, per block. So. You know, and then it's of course demand and supply. So if the supply goes down with fifty percent, then theoretically you could see the the price go up as the, if demand stays the same of or increases. So that's the speculative side of of the the the, the price related to the do uh, the supply, and that's I guess the question of uh, class as well. It's like yeah. will the price then increase? Now, what we've seen historically is that. Um, I guess leading up to the halving, you have this momentum, which we saw sort of the, the last week. And then we had this huge sell-off on Saturday, um, which might be <laughs> someone obviously manipulating the market as always. Um, but the, the, what I think in the past, we've seen just slow, gradually build up of the price until we see this exponential growth, uh, maybe a year or two later. But Ludwig, you were there in the earlier halving, so maybe you have a better understanding of that pattern. And of yeah. course, there's no repetition. And I'll repeat again, we do not give financial advice on the show. <laughs> like, this is just entertainment for yeah, clarity. You can't purposes. sue them. Pure That's speculation. No suing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... It's always been like a bit of a hype period around the halvings. But from my experience, I haven't seen any real like correlation between the price and the halvings. But as you say, it's kind of if you believe in this like deflationary money, then this kind of period is, is fundamental because this is what makes Bitcoin limited. If we wouldn't have the halvening, we just keep making new, new Bitcoins forever. But because of these halvings, we have a limited amount of Bitcoin, basically. So I think it will affect the long term, but short term. I don't know. <laughs> no one knows, really. We'll see what happens. But it's a fun thing to celebrate, at least. It's almost like a birthday for Bitcoin, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we do this kind of thing in banking a lot as well. <laughs> Tell us about it. How, how, how would you celebrate this in uh, in banking? And what well, are just you like that, you know, cool websites and kind of cartoon characters and yeah. camping What's by the, the fire, you know, straw man type thing, you know. <laughs> What's the last banking celebration that was of this kind that you remember? <laughs> oh no, we have we have celebrations, but we just wear suits, so it looks more serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
we're missing. <laughs> no, exactly. It's just it's just it's just an illusion we create of seriousness, but we're all just adorable underneath the suits. Oh, yes, that's yeah. absolutely yeah. true. Just saying. So I hope that answers part of the question on the price. I don't know. Was there any part, uh, anything else to that uh, question? Uh, will it affect the the mining yep. operations? Yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, this was about the uh, the mining uh, rewards. So, what was the question, Ludwig? Classic. Yeah, basically, <laughs> how will it affect, <laughs> affect the, the mining operation of, for example, Bitmain? Uh, and will it be a lot like expensively, a lot more expensive? <clears throat> and I guess from that, I mean, they won't have any more expenses in that it's still the same mining machines, it's still the same price for electricity. What will happen is they'll get less income. It's basically like someone having the price on on a commodity like oil or gold or whatever. So most likely the most inefficient miners will be knocked out um, and will be forced out of the market. But as Klaus already says, this is something that has been a known factor. So most likely people will already be like, okay, my miner isn't making much money anymore. I might as well turn her off because in a couple of weeks, it's not going to be making any money anymore. And that's it. And and meanwhile, we get another question. Oh, this is going to be a great live stream Q and A session, Ted. <laughs> cool. Are you ready for this? <clears throat> Irvine T. Well, this is think... what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I have a... no idea. <laughs> it may. It may not. Hmm. Possibly. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Do you think the Bitcoin from Irvine T? That sounds like a rapper name. I like it. Um, <laughs> Do you think the bit Bitcoin will have a higher value in five to eight years than today? Of course we do, otherwise we wouldn't be in this business. Um, but I guess um, we might have a fundamental reason for it. I mean, so I, I was writing <coughs> something for a deck today and I, I, I highlighted in three different ways. So you have on the one end cryptocurrencies that are sort of decentralized. Then you have uh, company issued currencies like Libra. And then you have digital currencies issued by um, uh, centralized banks. Uh, and all those three um, uh, uh, trends are coming together and all of them will probably have some kind of um, uh, uh, influence in, in, in the monetary uh, system in the years to come. And of course, my personal belief is that that's a lot, a large part of that is going to be cryptocurrencies and that will be the dominant one. But of course, opinions vary, which is why we have Tabita <laughs> on the stream today as well. Um, but uh, with that, naturally, if the usage goes up, which we see everywhere from you know the, the, the actual transactions on the different blockchains, uh, you would expect that price to follow. Again, no price advice, <laughs> no financial advice. <laughs> Tabitha, you probably disagree strongly with this. No, I just I just put a question in there and I put run and hide <laughs> in the private section. <laughs> no, I was just saying, is Bitcoin really a currency and not more of an investment vehicle? Bye. Yeah. No, I mean, it's 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 uh, the first use case that people consider uh, a success for Bitcoin is as a store of value, right? So, mm -hmm. um, and not not even so much as a uh, as a uh, currency, even though that was originally like if you read the original white paper, uh, it was meant to be a cash system where you have uh, a digital mm -hmm. cash. Uh, obviously, based on the fact that you have this immutability of the blockchain, where you can. Uh, actually, for the first time, move value around, knowing that there is no, you know, double spend problem uh, online, which is what you have normally, why you have centralized databases. So 
the cash and the payment system still haven't developed to that point. But I think, you know, if you look at Andreessen and Horowitz fund, $550 million that was recently announced, you see that they have fully focused on that use case of payments as a next sort of frontier of cryptocurrency. So um, we're just at the very start of this, in, in my opinion. Um, so do you think like when the final halvening happens and that's it, then that's when it becomes a currency? I think it's 2140. So I think we'll all be done <laughs> <Yeah>. by then. <laughs> <laughs> we won't see it, but uh, <laughs> and even if we do, they're they're still like the miners. They get um, they get the newly minted bitcoins, and they get also the mining fee for the transactions, right? But by then, there should be enough of a transaction market for those fees to be uh, uh, sustaining the network. And if not, then that's problematic. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a correlation. Oh, there's more questions. All right. <laughs> so, um, um, BTC having cut supply, BTC making it more scarce. If demand is there, price likely increases. Yes, that's the, the premise. <laughs> and then there are also historical precedent in November, 2012, BTC first halving the price rose from 11 to 12 down and continued to climb through the year reaching, 1,038 in November 2013. Yeah, and, and we've seen that that so far play out on the logarithmic scale, right? What what Matt is showing now on the screen. Um, of course, you know, that that is the um, the argument that, of course, all the hodlers, including us, uh, at least Ludwig and I uh, on the stream are following that we believe that, that that trend is going to continue because we have seen no deviation from the actual uses on, usage on the underlying protocol. Um, uh, which is, of course, a catalyst for this, uh, alongside, of course, speculation. Um, so we'll, 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 uh, oh, here, Jan Brun Anderson, as long as Bitcoin is a volatile <coughs> as it has been, it is not useful as a currency. Well, that's why, of course, there are stable coins as well. But Ludwig, maybe you want to <laughs> chime into this. This is going to turn into a QA uh, test. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to the interview. But yeah. it's great. I mean, it's great. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> My my opinion is that, I mean, it's still early on, as you said, and sure, Bitcoin is still volatile, but if you look at volatility of Bitcoin uh, <clears throat> over time, it's still decreasing. And I mean, a couple when there was the kind of the Corona scare on, on the stock exchange, I noticed that one day uh, the Swedish kroner moved more than Bitcoin. So, I mean, we are starting to see that, you know, occasionally, <laughs> you know, Bitcoin is more stable than other currencies. And then if this keeps playing out, the Bitcoin keeps becoming, you know, less and less volatile and more and more liquid, maybe at some point it will surpass at least some national currencies. Uh, and it depends a bit on how you see Bitcoin. If you just see it as like a transfer mechanism, you can just buy in one end and sell on the other. The amount of time you would need to have Bitcoin would be in seconds, for example. So maybe it's not a problem or maybe you see Bitcoin as the long-term kind of a store of value. So it depends a bit about how you see Bitcoin and kind of the end goal. But I agree. I mean, it's still very volatile and we're still early on. So, Yeah, but also, I mean, you have things like stable coins, which have a backed value to, let's say, a dollar. And there are different types of stable coins that can be used for different transactions uh, in, in a payment system. And, and they are like back to other blockchains. So you have now a uh, dollar spec to the Ethereum blockchain. So if it is for like having a payment mechanism where you want to, protect sort of the purchasing power related to fiat money, then you have the ability to do so, which is very similar to what Libra is trying to do with its stable uh, coin, right? So they they were originally looking at a, at a bucket of, I think, crypto and fiat currencies um, to combine it into one stable coin. 
And then I think now they made a deviation from that based on regulatory pushback, uh, where they're going to do something slightly different, um, uh, which is, uh, but still, I think they are going to peg it against existing, uh, uh, I think, e-money in this case. So it is possible to have a stable currency. You've seen that with Tether. I think we're seeing it with MakerDAO. They, they, they trade really closely uh, to the $1. Of course, Tether, there's a lot of, you know, discussion on inflation, which is why people love Bitcoin in the first place, because it's a limited, um, it's a deflationary asset. Whereas with other, you know, the dollar itself, which has a large amount of quantitative easing, um, as well as with uh, some of the digital currencies that are stable coins, it's not always sure how the supply is uh, uh, created. So, all right, maybe it's then uh, that was that was great for the halving fans. Of course, keep them coming. We'll 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 one way or another uh, add some questions to the stream again. Uh, but for now, I think we need to move on with the main event of the day, of the night, of the evening, of the evening. I guess okay, evening is not yeah. night yet. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Tabita Cooper. Hey, hey, Tabita. Hey. How how are you? <laughs> I'm very good, you used, thanks, Frank. <laughs> you, were, you, were do, you were dozing off because of all the Bitcoin talk. <laughs> no. No, well, yes, actually, I was. <laughs> I, was <laughs> I wasn't dozing off, but this yeah, was I was kind of switching off when she got all technical, I thought, yeah. I could try and pretend to be interested. That's a terrible <laughs> thing to say on the crypto show, sorry. <laughs> no worries. So for the people who don't know you, so I think there, there's your own fan base that we saw on LinkedIn that is uh, luckily very active and hopefully on the stream and hopefully they have some good Hi, questions. If you're here, yes. If you're here, just let us know in the comments so, so you know, Tab knows that you're here and then we'll have some direct. support. <laughs> some some mental support in this this no, it'll just make me more nervous. Crypto. Don't don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the, the the people from the crypto space, maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit on on your background. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, yes. So, yeah, I'm I'm my what am I what's my what to say? Um, I am uh, yes. If I, if I talk work wise, I've been working in banking. Uh, before Nodea, I was working in banking as a, an independent consultant um, for 15, 16 years. Um, and I kind of just fell into that. Before that, I was in IT, uh, tech support. And uh, that happened because um, you remember Y2K, probably not. You're all too young. <laughs> Y2K. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, you guys I remember. are it all was like millennials, thing. right? So, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. I remember. It was a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was a thing. So basically, they were just like the government were handing out free training to anybody. Uh, and I kind of thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I wonder what goes on in those uh, those boxes, uh, computers. And I was the only girl on my course. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I felt like an idiot through most of it, but it was really interesting and I really enjoyed it. And so that's kind of, in a way, that's the background for slightly how I would get into something like banking, because the, the, the part of banking that I got into is more like around change. So mm. implementing new processes, new systems, Etc. So if you if you kind of understand the technical side of things and a rough idea of that, then it's actually much easier than to implement change. So, so that's my work background. Okay, and there's another background that you also <laughs> <laughs> judging by. Well, you know. What about the other background to be done? <laughs> version A and version B. Okay, so that was version uh, A. Uh, the other one is uh, yeah. So I was in the fashion industry when oh. I was like yeah. 
this is like the big reveal. I, I actually don't normally tell people, but you know, Frank's a friend, so I just figured why not. Um, yeah, and the internet for everybody. I'm, to I'm trying to ingratiate myself with um, with your 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 listeners. <laughs> oh, she was cool once. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, uh, yeah. So in fashion industry, and then I was in a spiritual community for like five years. Tell, and tell then I ran away from that. That was, yeah, a little bit, it turned out to be a bit culty, um, but uh, super interesting anyway. But it, it, it's, it's super interesting from the perspective of like what happens uh, like to a group of people um, when uh, when you're under pressure and how people behave under pressure and how you, you sort of start uh, behaving in a way that, you know, people who, you know, you uh, in, in normal circumstances you think are really cool and then suddenly you think oh my god <laughs> um so yeah it, it was interesting from that perspective and i think it's actually formed a lot of like the insight that just ended up coming naturally from what i ended up doing when i went to, to nordea hmm. um but actually i mean obviously it, it actually it was just always for me it was always a background uh interesting thing uh for me when i was working in banking which is not it's not something at the time i spoke about like in 2000 i'd, I'd left this community um, so I, I wasn't really keen to talk to anyone about it. Um, but in, in banking, it was just very interesting then to see how, like, whatever organization that I ended up working in, the, the person who was leading the organization really had such a big impact on how the culture was in, in, in the organization. And I, I, could, I could see a lot of parallels between um, you know, culture and the cult. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit unfair to call it a cult because, you know, there were some really, really great people in it and nobody intends for something like that to happen. But it was, that's kind of a little bit like how it was. We were talking about Odia still or the, the, uh, the other. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like I, I would say Bitcoin people that you, you guys are in a cult, you know, Everybody like everybody's, has the, everybody yeah. has their own cult, right? And it's kind yeah. of you, a, a nicer way to put it is tribe, right? So, yeah, um, Tri yeah. So, tribe is the nicer version. Tribe so, is a nicer and, and way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, so from your experience, so there's a lot to unpack there. So we'll do it one one step at a time. But the so what is the difference? Um, that what is the, the the line where it goes from a, a cult to tribe or vice versa? Like at what point? What is the distinction where you say, okay, no, this is at this point it's a, a cult because. I suppose you have corporate cults in a way as well, where you know mm. the the company culture becomes really um, uh, restrictive of you know how people think and, and changes them in, in the same way that maybe a cult might do. So where do you, from your experience, because obviously you have some experience, wh yeah. where is that that line? So I mean, I think I think that the it's in all of us, to be honest. I think it's a human trait, and and I think I think that I wouldn't really even say it's specifically corporate uh, cult stroke culture. I would just say any group of people mm. can become culty. And I think if we're talking lines, then I would say that it's usually fear um, that puts you in a situation of feeling the need to draw a line. Most of the time, when um, when we become kind of fearful or we're in a situation where um, we feel like we're, we're, we're being controlled or we can't speak openly, um, uh, where there's, there's, a, there's a kind of a tune that you have to dance to, then, then, then I think people start kind of protecting themselves. And when they protect themselves, they then, they then start um, only wanting things that reflect what they're comfortable seeing in themselves and what mm. they want to be in the environment around them. So, I mean, we, we, we tend to sort of, you know, tribes or cults or whatever, you know, it, it, we, we tend to, it, it's about what you gravitate towards. 
And I think that cult, you know, where it goes from being a tribe to a cult is where something stops being open. It stops being like the situation you're in is not accountable to any sort of higher um, level of, of well, th th there is no accountability in that situation. And so you find yourself like the, the, a group of people can find themselves isolated and then they start behaving in, in ways that are just, you know, unhealthy. So, yeah, so I think that that can happen, you know, in, 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 in a cult of any type. Yeah, but it's, so, so, so really it's just fear, fear, fear so, relationship to fear. Are you willing to uh, uh, go into what that manifested in the actual cult that you were in? What, like what the things were that made an occult? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like, as I said, there was some really, like, really lovely people in it. And I, the intentions were really good. And the, the whole idea was, uh, was, was really about, you know, what does it mean to be a human being in this, in this life, uh, to be free? And, mm. and that was the word, that was the one word that really kind of got my attention when I first heard the, the teacher speak. Um, I was living in Paris at the time. Mm. And I thought, yes, that's, that's what I'm after, free. And uh, what, so what was the question? Uh, so what, what was the question? Well, how did it, like, what is the thing that, like, it was, well, what was it? What what kind of group was it that you were in? And Yeah, so really uh, nice people, that's what I was saying. So, yeah, so, so yes. really, like, well-intentioned people, right? But yeah, I think that yeah. the thing was, what, and this is really the key, I think, and this is why I spoke initially about leadership. I think that mm. um, whenever, like, someone who's responsible for a group of people because ultimately we're all quite hierarchical you know we, mm. we you know we tend to kind of you know like either look up to people or look down on people or both actually we tend to do both but um so i think that that in that situation there was an assumption um made by by all of us because of the the profound spiritual experiences that we would have in the presence of this person mm. um that that he was clean and, and pure in his motivation. Mm. And so, of course, when you start making assumptions like that, you stop questioning. And so then what happens is you kind of, something becomes set. It's like, you know, what used to be like, I don't know, like when you make jelly, right? It starts off as a liquid, but then it starts setting into jelly. So certain things started becoming set. I, I, I like the jelly analogy. <laughs> what will run with the it's jelly? It's kind of adorable, right? Okay. Just <laughs> the cult less, jello. You know, yeah, less cult jello. Less culty, exactly, cult jello. Start forming your own cult jello. Um, and yeah, and, and then I just think, yeah, it's, it's the not questioning things and uh, uh, accepting things. And then it can, you know, and then, Obviously, if you're trying to get from this place as a group, there's a, there's an intention or a, or a purpose, and you're trying to get from here to here as a group. Then, of mm. course, you start putting pressure on people, you know, to 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 not be here, but to actually be over there. But if somebody isn't naturally over there yet, they're here. Mm. Then it's you know, it starts. People then start acting like they're over there. So then they start becoming unreal, and the whole thing becomes you know. Uh, uh, I'm really simplifying it, but but <laughs> I'm really simplifying. It, but it just becomes a mess because nobody then is being real, and then what you're in is kind of just this mode of surviving. Really, you're just trying to survive, and to 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 seem like you're somewhere where you're not actually. Hmm. Thinking. Yes, I can uh, so, see the thought bubbles. Yeah. <clears throat> so you, yeah, you. So you find yourself in this group of people that are uh, well-intentioned and they're moving sort of, well, there is a leader, right? So, and, and it turns out this leader did not have the intentions um, uh, that everybody else thought 
this person had. Yeah, and, and that he thought as well. He thought as well. I okay. think it, it, it's like extra, that's why I'm talking about accountability as well, and that's why you know, like in in the difference, like say in a company, is is that you know, like in a company, the CEO is accountable to the board, and the board is accountable to the shareholders, and. Well, I don't know who the, the shareholders are accountable to, but anyway. But the point is, there is a line of accountability. Um, uh, whereas in 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 this situation, he, you know, he he was kind of had his he he had it was just his line of thinking, and I mean, it was very compelling in lots of ways intellectually. But um, I think the there was a, there was a lack of um, uh, heart, I think, in in mm. in. Uh, in what we were doing so of course then it, it when when it becomes an intellectual exercise it, you you lose the the whole point really <laughs> yeah so, so what 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 were i we can go how into detail how ex, uh, horrible the experience was but let's focus on the positive and and what are the lessons that you you took from that and and i guess from that moment on you applied yourself to do like change management in, in these uh, organizations that you worked in. So what were like the lessons and how how does it help you identify those kind of traits within organizations? And how do you then go about shaping a healthier culture around that? Hmm. Which, you know, coming from the crypto space, you know, there's been some huge hostility in our space as well, where hmm. uh, there were fights about changes to the protocol, where everybody that had any you know, interest to it, did everything in their power by any means necessary to to get their way. Um, so that toxicity ex exists mm. in, in many forms, even mm. in the crypto community, or maybe uh, uh, quite Big so. Big reveal, <laughs> even in crypto. <laughs> I mean, uh, I know Sergey from Bitrefill even had a presentation about how he thought Bitcoin was, was like a religion. That everyone believes in this the the white paper the the true book you know that speaks from God about how we're supposed <laughs> to change the world and how finance works and so on, and then how this different religions split up into Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Gold depending on how you interpreted the book slightly differently and this you know all these leader figures who who then back the different subsections of of Bitcoin and so on. So I mean, there's a lot of parallels, and I think if you take any kind of passionate group, you you can find those kind of parallels to religion and cults. No, absolutely. And I think also, like, if I mean, I just I, I think sort of quite philosophically about it, and I'm going to go back to your question. But I think that, you know, society used to have religion. And, uh, you know, certainly in Western society, we've kind of, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's a definitely a fall in numbers, uh, quite significant fall in numbers of people actually who, who sort of practice, say, Christianity or, or whatever. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we've kind of didn't have anything to replace that with. So I think that, you know, we've sort of ended up you know, in terms of when, when, when I say replace that with, I'm, I mean, the big ideas. Um, and I think that, that then, of course, what naturally ends up happening, especially if we just stay up in our heads about the whole thing and make it like an intellectual debate about like who's right and wrong is that, you know, you end up getting these tribes and, and, and the tribes become really important. Um, you know, rather than the fact of the, our our common, you know, humanity, uh, and and I think you know I mean the, the reason why all of this was like is 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 really certainly important to me is because I just kind of felt like there has to be some kind of like unifying principle, you know that that is 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 common to all of us that actually makes sense to everybody, and so that was kind of my my reason for being it in the first place. But, but I mean, I think, it, you know, in terms of your question, Frank, about like, how does it, how does it, 
you know, how did I see that in corporate cultures? It was kind of by accident, really. I, it, it, it's like, it was more, as I said, like when I started, I fell into banking um, because when I, I actually moved up to Scotland and uh, I just, I didn't know what I was going to do. And the kind of jobs I did down in London, you know, Edinburgh is a much smaller city. So they weren't, they didn't really have tech support for big companies. And um, anyway, I just ended up getting this job at uh, Royal Bank of Scotland. And uh, and and I bought, was bought in as an IT project manager, but it turned out not to really to be that. And then I was just in it. I was thinking, oh, this is really um, this is really quite logical. You know, it's not it's uh, and it was it was more just like I fell into that and change management just was what I fell into because they were looking for lots of people to do this like massive takeover of um, uh, National Westminster Bank, which at the time was the biggest bank in the UK. Um, and Royal Bank, I think, was one of the smallest. And of course, that was a massive thing for Scotland to be taking over a big English bank. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, the politics of that, I won't talk about that right now, but I mean, there's a whole cult situation there too, right? Um, but uh, no, but I mean, so I, I think it was just really interesting for me. I was doing the job. But in the background, I was just curious to kind of see how the dynamics worked in the in the teams, how it worked with senior management. I hadn't been in a corporate environment before, so it was kind of the first time of seeing how people behave in a particular kind of way. And and, and I, I've given talks about this before, but, you know, the fact that, you know, there is this idea, like particularly, I think, in the corporate world that you're supposed to be, you know, act pro in a professional way. Hmm. Um and professionality, it, it, it seemed somehow, I, I was like, what is it? Because it's like you, you'd walk into the office and people would be so serious and, and you know, well, absolutely, wearing suits and being Quite very right. serious. <laughs> yes, well, yes, I know. I should have known better, really. Um, but, uh, we'll have yeah, none but, of that here tonight, Abs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, exactly. Uh, but, yeah, no, so, so so then it was just like, I was like, why is that? Because then you go out for drinks with these people and they were just like really great. And I was like, God, where were they in the office earlier on, you know? And and uh, I'd worked in a smaller company in London. It was a, it was kind of a startup um, charity thing. And um, so I, I just was really interested in it. And I could see it. Then I ended up as an cons independent consultant working in lots of different financial organizations after that. And they were all different. And it was just so interesting to see that, like, whoever was leading that organization, their character was just somehow the shadow, if you like, of, of any of our egos um, always falls on the organization and the organization adapts itself around the character of the, the, the person leading. And it can be the person leading within you know, the, the, your local group or it can be the CEO at the top, but ultimately it does, it does, does have a big impact. So, so yeah, I mean, I, it was. I was just curious and interested, and then, and then when I um, uh, joined Nordea, was actually my first full-time job, <laughs> mm. um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was like a real uh, lesson, you know, because uh, you know when you go into an organization as a consultant, no one's really expecting you to fit in. They just know you're a consultant. They know you're there for a short period of time, mm. and get in, get over, get done, and get out. That's it. Um, but like when you uh, when you go in, it's permanent. Was it on what? purpose for you? So you didn't want to be, you know, draw into anyone's cult year? Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I didn't really want, to, I, I mean, yeah, as an independent consultant, it totally suited my not getting involved in groups. And uh, allergy. How, how, <laughs> so, so, and, and then you decided to, with Nordia, to be part of a, a, another culture. 
Yeah, because I, I I felt I felt like I was it's kind of lonely being an independent consultant too, and I felt like I felt like I was just a bit stuck doing the same thing the whole time, and uh, mm. and I felt like I, I just really wanted to be part of something, and to you know to just to be part of a, a, a wider group of people and see how that was, uh, and it's sort of I I've always kind of felt like it's good to challenge your your ideas like as soon as you get comfortable in things it feels like then you start you know then then you can start turning into jelly again you know things start sort of getting um set and uh so so and i'd had you know when i was a consultant uh, at nordea before i mm. became permanent i'd had such a great experience and i thought well you know if i'm going to go permanent anywhere then then this this feels like a good place to start so so, so oh, sorry litig no <laughs> I thought you said so. No, I mean, I think it's slightly interesting to think about a bit about. I don't know. We should probably like shouldn't get into it because it's a sensitive topic. But the Nordic banks and the kind of re recent scandals and how there's been a lot of media and push for like how there needs to be a cultural change in the finance industry <clears throat> because a lot of people who maybe turn a blind eye or or have from what from the outside at least seems like scrupulous morals. Of course, they're probably different from the inside, but there's been a lot of talk, I think, as well in the media about this kind of culture and especially finance. Hmm. I mean, I, I guess it's not so recent, right? I, I mean, you know, obviously you get you get the the issues of um, money laundering and stuff like that, and that always hits yeah. banks hard. And and actually, that's where banks, all banks, pretty much spend most of their money is actually on 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 AML and compliance and all of this kind of stuff. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I, I think that you know that the the, the it, there was there you know generally in banking like uh, after two thousand and eight, I think it really did highlight a kind of arrogance in 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 financial services, um, and you know people were rightly angry about that because I think in a way banking sort of got away with it, and I think the reason why people were so angry is because it felt like um, an abuse of of trust, and it, I mean in a way it kind of was, but an abuse of trust because um you know banks are always seen as the safe house right that's what a bank is supposed to be it's a safe house it's a, literally a safe where you put your money that was what mm. they used to be so so i think the idea that 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 people were using you know the public's money in in a way that that was just you know feet you know lining their own pockets um was was understandably shocking and people were angry but i do think that you know a lot of regulation, you know, got piled in, you know, to uh, to that to deal with that. Um, some of it may be helpful, some of it may be less so, um, because obviously the more you're spending on regulation, the harder it is then to kind of, you know, uh, you know, spend money on actually serving the customer, which is obviously why you're there in the yeah. first place. Um, but you know, it's necessary. I can see that. But yeah, so I mean, but but it, the, I think that that. It's not. It it's a, it was only a certain part of the banking of system that was doing that, right? And and I think that it 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 you could I could feel like how you know it, it's hard if you're working in an in an organization. That's your life. That's what you've trained in. That's your work. And mm -hmm. and you've got like the pub. You can't be proud of what you do. Like you know, every dinner party you go to, it's like somebody has some comment about a bank. You don't want to like say <laughs> that. You're, I mean, I don't mind saying I work in a bank, but you know. <laughs> I, it, it's not like you know when it's not something most people advertise. Um, but but I think like working I think, in crypto. <laughs> is really really. Is, we got you the guys same. are cool. You're the cool boys. The oh You're no, the not the cowboys like bankers. <laughs> <laughs> with your oh, average, I see you with uh, the bankers. Yeah. No, but I mean, I think I think that <clears throat> again, it's just like 
the division it's, it's the idea of division the idea of like you know difference and tribal mentalities i i just i just don't see and i think it a little bit you know why I, why i did the 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 goodbye video to to um to my colleagues at nodea was was just because you know i just think that you know, I, I feel badly, you know, for for people working in banking because I, it's not really fair. You know, that a lot of a lot of the people who work are really, really good people, and it, it's it's uh, you know processes and stuff do need to be changed. They do need to be cleaned up, and yeah, you know that that has happened and is happening. Um, and you know, we need we needed the cleanup, but I think at some point, you know, um, it, we need to we need to sort of move on really from that and just sort of say okay so because you know we every, everyone makes mistakes right we're all human sure. and I mean, yeah. but, I mean but, one could okay. argue though that mm. yeah go, uh, go ahead I'm, if I'm you know trying to defend the banks a bit one could argue that you've got a lot of like roles a lot of hats to keep on uh, <laughs> you always become like a part of the police with all the KYC and AML you have to do and, and tracking and finding crime and all that that maybe before it was the police who had to do that and now also with um, the monetary policy that current being driven that uh, the central bank is basically telling the banks you guys have to lend this out we want this liquidity to go to the market mm. we don't care if you want to now you're kind of becoming part of the monetary policy and what the central bank should be doing now the banks are supposed to do that and same in the u.s now that um with stimulations being paid through the banks and so on and they having to uh, set up forms to be filled in to get support for local businesses and stuff basically a bank is not really a, a a private company in a normal no, sense because they're not, so closely no. connected to the political. So it's very hard to. <laughs> to it's part of the infrastructure, the right? It's yeah. part of the infrastructure. And yeah. I, th I think the interesting thing is, is like, um, I think, you know, there's only so it, you can only get so you, you can only be allowed, I think, to get so innovative in, mm. in, 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 in a banking kind of environment. I think, it's not okay for banks to take those risks, uh, you know. And innovation is a risk, you know. When you're trying something new and it hasn't sure. been done before, it, it, it's it's difficult to do it with that amount of um, regulation on your back. Um, and it's right the regulations there because it's about protecting the customer. It's about making sure that things are done in the right way and that we're we're protecting the values that we have in society. So, but it's just recognizing what you know how far you can really push something and and how far you can't. Um, but I do think, yeah, the bank banks, I think. We we you know generally overstepped the mark quite seriously in you know two thousand and eight and yeah well and after that so let me put on my uh, harsh uh, harsh <laughs> no, 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 Frank, hat. I knew this was coming <laughs> <laughs> it's like how would one deem it possible to essentially launder billions of dollars without it going noticed in a banking system right there's several Nordic banks that have uh, helped. Uh, pass pass around billions of dollars and it's clear that then there's very you know fundamental problems within the banking system when we're talking about those quantities i mean if we look at our business it's 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 all since there's such a stigma on on crypto businesses it's really hard to get any small amount through through our system let alone the types of of funds that were passing through the system so whereas you know of course, at some point the checks and balances work, but the the two I don't think those numbers, those billions that were passing through the banking system in that way, um, were in two thousand eight. That was pretty much uh, quite a bit later than that. So how, how how would you account for that? And you know, 
how well, I mean I think, I think it's it I think it's it's just I mean you know Frank from from uh, Svalo it's difficult you know um you know tracking tracking like who's you know doing what and who's okay because you, you don't know the identity necessarily of the people who are transferring funds so we do we do that's part of kyc that's part of the aml5 directive you need to know who your customer is right so we yeah. do know who that person is and we go quite far in our due diligence yeah. so bank should you know inherently should have but the thing is the, ma- the amount that. of I mean, you, you make a fair point about the fact that, you know, you know, you guys have got, uh, you know, the stigma attached to Bitcoin and everything and that, you know, you, it's hard to get small amounts through. But I think the context is, you know, and, and again, I'm not in that arena, so it, it wouldn't be fair for me to kind of make a, a complete statement. But I, I think that so much more money actually does run through the system like every day, like, you know, millions and millions, you know, it, it, it's such massive figures. Um, that maybe it is possible for, for for big amounts, you know, to go through. And also, I don't know, I, I don't know the details of actually how they actually like pr- process yeah. the funds. But I'm I'm sure, you know, I just know that the, my my colleagues who've worked in that area, that they're, they're, they're good intentions and they are watching it and they're using all of the latest technology that they can to kind of ensure that you know that they do catch it. And yeah, you, I guess we, we miss some. So, but I, so, I think that. So- on yeah. on an on an oh sorry to interrupt but on on an on a <laughs> no you're not uh, I'm not at all sorry be honest <laughs> so, no but on an ideal level then like if we if we believe in the power of the individuals in these organizations having good intentions which you know from our discussions has always been the case um, is but the organizational form in this case a corporation that has this profit uh, requirement makes them do things like in certain cases you know be complicit to the to the activity going on within the system or makes it at least very easy for like those kind of activities to take place what kind of organizational form or what kind of changes can you affect within the organization um to make make uh things and not end up as bad as they do in some cases yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think every, every case is going to be different. So I think it's quite without actually like knowing the specific examples um, and actually being involved in understanding what actually happened. It's very difficult, for, you know, to comment. And I know that sounds like a, a really crummy answer, but it's, it's the only answer I can give. Because um, I do I do think that, you know, whenever things like this happen, you have to go in and look and see what happened. And it's if it was simple, I think, you know, then then um, people would have it. Uh, sort it, but I mean, you know, it's too expensive for banks to make those kind of mistakes and to, you know, to, to have that happen. So if it does happen, it's not, it's not through a, a lack of the right intention. That's what I'm saying. And, and and obviously, I can sense a little bit, like you know, the direction that you're saying that question from is, is that you're questioning the motivation and the culture that produces people who are, you know, potentially, um, you know, making like uh, corrupt decisions. But I, I don't believe that to be the case not just the organizational um, form right so i'm i'm approaching it more from a decentralized finance point of view where you, uh, the rule-based kind of methodologies where everything is just built on smart contracts on decentralized finance that pre- prevent certain things from taking place so the example of uh, for instance everledger that puts diamonds on on the blockchain so you can have full traceability transparently with multiple parties which then then avoid some of the pitfalls that you can have for having the human factor in, in the organizations that we uh, we have. There was somebody saying, I think Jan Brun, it's it's not about KYC, it's about uh, knowing where the money originates from. That sort of is sort of the, the idea. It's like if you can make it more transparent or you find different organizational structures 
maybe they're more suited for it than the traditional corporations that we've been operating in up until now. Yeah. I mean, the, the counter argument against the decentralized finance is that it's still like a human who make who tries to fool the system. Like, even if you have entered the diamonds on the on the blockchain, for example, if someone at the mine adds some fake diamonds to the ledger, then it doesn't matter what the ledger says because there's still going to be some fake mine in the system. Or if some person who cuts the gems swaps them out against a very similar gem, like those kind of stuff, there's always like someone who's willing to take that risk to make a bit of money to do that kind of but so in, 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 in diamonds just to counter that point is there there's the kimberly process where i sure. think that every there's a specific procedure to to register those diamonds right and of course you can you can um just like in mining right why do we trust the decentralized protocol that is bitcoin because you have we trust with, not everybody does but anyway we trust <laughs> you we trust, trust in the crypto space. Yeah, yeah. we in the crypto space cross it because you have conflicting interest that makes the you know be you believe in the, the conflicting interest at play that actually then make make you believe that the ledger uh since one has interest a one has interest b by which you can buy the conflicting parties can trust that the ledger has a ground truth be it because this one has otherwise an interest in a of course there's the 51 percent attack but other than that there's a multitude of different parties that jointly collaborate that do not have the same interest other than the economic interest and by that virtue you can can trust the ledger sure. But uh, my argument to that is that that's for something that exists on the ledger that you can mathematically prove on the ledger. Anything you right. want to add from it, from the physical world, from the outside world, if you want to represent something on a blockchain, yeah. you need out, someone to in. register it. In, it. And out. Then, then that, yeah, exactly. That's that's the weak point, right? Yeah. And I think that's uh, one can also argument the banking. You know, it, whether everyone knows about it or not. I mean, there's some cases where some local, I, I think it was HSBC who had like a local ba uh, banking office, I think it was in Mexico, where they even had like, or at least it said that there's like a, a myth at least that they had a hole in the wall for where they put in the money uh, through a, a briefcase basically. And they came every morning with the money and pushed it through a hole in the wall in briefcase and the teller sat and counted it on the other side. And I mean, at that point, you know, you so, can argue that at least some people don't have the you know good intentions because it's quite obvious that no of course maybe there was if, something going on there. So it's enough with you know a couple of bad apples to destroy for everyone else. And I think that's true for like all the systems. And I think that's going to be the issue with central banks and stable coins and everything like that. Insider attacks is always the most difficult to to prevent. But, but Ludwig, I, mean, I think the interesting point there though is trust, and and I think that's something that we all, you know, when 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 anyone's working in uh, the financial sector, trust is is the key, and that's kind of why I said before about you know 2008. And you're right, Frank, that other things have happened since, but I think that fundamentally, anything to do with finance, when we're talking, even talking about fiat currency, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, um, whatever. Um, it's all about, you know, it, it goes back to kind of what it, what it used to say on like, you know, the, the pound note. Uh, God we trust. I, yes, in God we trust. Or like, <laughs> you know, I promise to pay the bearer of this yeah. da, 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 however many pounds. And, and I think that it's not, you know, the money, the, the money thing doesn't have the value. Like it doesn't really, it's just the idea of, it's the sure. idea of value. And, and ultimately it's about trust. And when something you know, when when uh, an institution or in, uh, generally I'm talking about financial services um, has that trust undermined, hmm. it's a difficult thing to 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 recover from. But I, you know, I, I think um, 
But I think, you know, I, th I think it's a particularly interesting situation because, you know, it is all around money and, and money is not even in a way real. <laughs> and yet it's making sure. everything happen. So, yeah. So how do you look at money? So we discussed three scenarios uh, before, like you have the cryptocurrency scenario, you have sort of the, co the company scenarios, maybe at Nordia, they're working on Nordia coin, which you probably are on NDA, could never tell about, uh, talk about. But And then you have maybe central bank digital currencies. Well, that's not a maybe. You have now clear clear indications that that's been developed, the e-corona in, in Sweden. What, what kind of future do you see uh, there and how how would that play out? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think that uh, I see Bitcoin really being something like like I do see it more kind of like as an investment, you know, vehicle. I think it's something that people buy with the idea that it's going to appreciate in value and make them money. I don't yet see it so much as a as as, as a currency. Um, I guess cryptocurrency. You know, it. I, I, you know, it. I. I haven't really been so kind of involved with it recently, but it. It didn't seem like anything specifically was kind of taking off on that front. Um, mm. And I. And I guess you know. So I mean, even if you just look at like the uptake of digital, you know, digital finance in the sense of digital currencies, like in the UK, for example, I'm always surprised when I go back. I always forget that I'm supposed to have cash to pay people for right. things, and and so I just think it's. It's really about people's relationship to digital in a way that mm. that kind of needs to change. And you know, you see with the COVID uh, crisis, um, you know, the fact that now people are using the touch thing with the card. So you just put thing, and and it, so maybe you know that, and and people are now having to have more conversations like this online and getting more into kind of digital by force. You know, so where before it was harder to convince people maybe to go into digital, maybe now something like this makes it more. You know, viable. So it, I, I just, I think it's, it's, it's hard to see where things are going to go. It seems like things, you know, are becoming kind of more digital, and therefore that's obviously potentially good for sort of cryptocurrencies because it, it's really about how, what do people see as being value, and ultimately, you know, the adoption of any currency is, is when, is when people actually have confidence in it, um, and trust it. You know. Um, and people trust like having a pound coin or like, a, you know, I'm thinking UK, but, you know, 10 pound notes or whatever, because I have the money. Um, you know, it just I think I think it's hard. It's, it's hard to say. And I mean, I think that there's so like if we if we just think about what's happening now, I think the anything's possible right now. Um, I, I think I think that, uh, that there's a kind of there's a deeper shift. Uh, so, you know, like we, 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 I've said this on some of my LinkedIn posts, but like we never thought that we'd be able to stop the, the, the wheel of consumption, you know, pretty much in mm. its tracks. I'm not saying it's in its tracks, but, you know, globally, you know, we, we've really, really slowed it down, you know. Um, nobody ever could have imagined that would be possible you know and like i'm i'm one of these people who like i'm i'm like uh, you know trying to fly the flag for can we have a different economic model um yeah. you know for measuring you know uh, progress other than gdp you know um because gdp measures all sorts of things you know but can we have something that that actually measures you know um sustainability um you know living in a living sustainably in this world in a different way i i just feel like right now anything's possible anything can happen you know there's you could potentially people uptake more because there's more sort of digital you know just having to happen by force of circumstance um but i think i think something deeper is is happening and so i, I think that 
you know, going back to the uh, taking it away slightly from what do I think is going to happen? I don't really know, but like uh, with 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 uh, cryptocurrency. But going back to um, uh, this, the, you know, tribes and and this cult sort of mentality. I think I think that we have an opportunity now because like we've never been in a situation where globally we're all in pretty much like one situation. Mm. Um, and and I and I, I think that th there's an opportunity to recognize. You know, I, it doesn't seem like that's where it's going. I mean, it seems like the blame's coming in. The kind of oh, it's it's terrible. This and stuff. We were starting to kind of throw some rocks in various directions and stuff. But there, I think also that there is actually this undercurrent movement, a more of a distributed network type. Um, <laughs> do you see that? Like that one? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I segued in there. Um, but no, there's a kind of distributed network movement, you know, like that that isn't, I, I think it's harder to see because, you know, we tend to see the big picture, the big ticket items. You see the hierarchical things. You see the Trump throwing the stuff over there and you see China saying no. And, you know, you, you see the big things happening, the hierarchical, the top of the chain. But mm -hmm. I, don't, I think what we're not seeing is like the, the deeper movement of something else coming through. And, and I think that that is the power of distributed networks, but it's like a network that we can't even see. So to me, that that's actually what I'm really interested in is like how how to plug into that network that is is even less visible than the digital network. Um, you know, like, and, and, it, and, and I think the point there is, is that, you know, we, like Gandhi said, you know, being the change you want to see in the world, I think that we are all those those nodes, if you like, on on this massive global, you know, distributed network. And if 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 we're going to get things to change, um, then then ultimately it's it's going to it's it's going to boil down to like what our relationship is to to living and uh, being on this planet. And are we going to recognize our unity? The, the commonality of our humanity or are we going to focus again on the tribes and on the separation and on the polarization and you know so for me that the power of distributed networks is is that is the breaking down of barriers and 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 at the moment you know like even bitcoin is is kind of you know a bit guilty of you know creating barriers like banks are, you know we create barriers we're trying to be more open you know but mm. uh I think I think yeah, it's it, it's about recognizing the commonality. So you you're doing that by inviting me on here because <laughs> I'm a I'm a banker. So you're <laughs> First in the gap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We have a long history of me coming from the crypto perspective, yeah, coming really. from the banking perspective, <laughs> and we're fighting it out. <laughs> but that's the only way to break these barriers and get yes. closer together. Yeah. Um, and I think that might be the end. But before we we end uh, this uh, great interview, uh, what were you doing in fashion exactly? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was a model. Oh, <laughs> now cue the the shots. Do we have any no. shots of this? No, not no, of course not. No. Of <laughs> it was it was it was before the internet. So thankfully, uh... <laughs> if we find them somewhere, we'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> It's um, not going to happen. <laughs> happen. So I, I want to thank you, Tabitha, for being on the show and being so open um, and, and sharing your ideas with us. Uh, this was episode five. We left the news and uh, market update for what it is this time. Uh, we'll 
probably going to do this uh, separately uh, from here on out uh, to keep the interview as it is now. Any last parting words uh, uh, for our viewers, uh, Taps? The Matrix. It's real. Awesome, awesome film. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a metaphor for life. Yes. <laughs> Great. Uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Um, find us on uh, the the Cefalo Show on Spotify, on YouTube, Cefalo, on Twitter, Cefalo AB. We're also on LinkedIn. Uh, and tune in next week uh, for episode six that will be with Sven Martinson from Valega Chain Analytics. So this is about, uh, this is another forensics tool similar to um, Chainalysis and elliptic so we're going to talk to sven and, and and look at what they're doing uh, differently from those other suppliers so it's going to be a good show that's it for today thank you very much have a good evening see you next time